0: This week, we talked about Kyrsten cinema's switch to becoming an independent, Vladimir Zelensky's meeting with the president, and the January 6th committee's final report. You're listening to Politics Schmolitics, and this is the week of 12 25 2022. couple of weeks and let us begin the january 6th committee has been a reoccurring topic on this podcast ever since its creation and on this podcast we've covered almost every single hearing learning a lot along the way however this committee wasn't something we'd see stretch on for years and now that Republicans have taken the House and the new session of Congress, it's approaching where all the new congressmen and women will be sworn in if they want a seat and everyone who lost will leave. The conclusions of the January 6th committee's investigations had to be released soon. And that's exactly what happened. Three days after the January 6th committee voted to refer Trump to the Department of of justice for him to potentially be prosecuted, the January 6th committee released their final report spanning 814 pages. The report was split into eight chapters, each focusing on a different aspect of Trump's attempt to overturn the election and it overall was an expanded more in-depth version of what we've been hearing from their public hearings. So information like Trump had been planning to declare victory no matter what the outcome of the election was and that Trump knew about the violence going on at the Capitol for three hours but he didn't act. We've heard this information in both the hearings and we saw it in the final report. The final report did reveal how Trump was advised in the days before the riot to make it known that the rally must remain peaceful and that Trump pressured Pence not to count the electoral votes, even though Trump knew himself that it was illegal to do so. the january 6th committee has said that trump should be barred from office due to his part in the attempted insurrection and they've also recommended penalties for those who threaten election workers and stronger penalties for obstructing the peaceful transfer of power the january 6th committee's time has ended now so republicans will take the house and a lot of people are wondering how the january 6th committee will exactly be remembered they really took these hearings to the next level, with primetime hearings that everyone could see, millions of viewers, and quality production, their range of witnesses was spectacular, their montages were out so great, they've, they've revolutionized public hearings. And in addition to that, the January 6th committee has the largest and most comprehensive timeline of what went down behind, not just in the Capitol, but what Trump was doing during these riots, what was he doing in the White House, and how others close to him were reacting. However, the issue is all of this could be meaningless if no real action is taken. The hearings, they didn't do an insane amount to change the minds of high-profile Republicans, and if the Department of Justice is unable to prosecute Trump with this amount of information, then the January 6th committee, although revolutionary, could be forgotten as it would have no real impact. 300 days ago, Russia invaded Ukraine, after months of tension. Now, Ukraine and Russia were no stranger to conflict. Ukraine had previously been a part of the Soviet Union, which included Russia, and in 1991, when the Soviet Union dissolved, Ukraine, Russia, and 13 other countries came out independent. Now, why Russia would wants to invade Ukraine, there's really no clear answer to that question, but you could look at Putin's fear of Ukraine joining NATO, and as time goes on and Ukraine modernizes, joining NATO would essentially be the last step in the process of making Ukraine a formidable country, which Russia sees as a threat. Russia has previously invaded Ukraine back in 2014 when they invaded the region of Crimea, and. Leading up to their invasion in 2022, Russia, they had these military exercises where they would bring troops, tanks, and artillery to the border with Ukraine, and then they'd pull them back to the country. So tensions between the two countries had been pretty high leading up to the invasion. Now, when Russia invaded, it was expected that the military part of the invasion would only take a bit over two weeks not the over 300 days it's been. And ever since then, Russia's economy has collapsed with the value of the ruble plummeting. They're needing to enroll hundreds of thousands of more troops. Their global reputation has obviously plummeted. It's somehow even gotten worse than how it started with. Now, Zelensky knows that no matter how long they've managed against Russia, Ukraine needs as much help as they can get. And what better way to do so than come face-to-face with the President of the United States and later on address Congress? Vladimir Zelensky came to the U.S. in the first trip he's taken out of Ukraine since the war began. And to start off, he had a press conference with President Biden, where the two showed a unified view on the war, with Zelensky displaying his appreciation for all the US has done for Ukraine and Biden confirming that he'll send Ukraine a Patriot missile battery. Later, Zelensky addressed Congress, where he was welcomed with a standing ovation. He was dressed in green, as we've seen him do ever since the invasion began. And Zelensky addressed Congress in English, spreading his message not with a translator, but with his own voice, which is much more impactful. Zelensky put out that Ukraine would never surrender and that U.S. could speed up their victory, which is it's a very positive tone hearing a world leader having this much confidence in, this, in his country, because at the beginning of the war, pro- not a lot thought that this was even a possibility. Zelensky also showed the similarities between what Ukraine was going through, and he compared it with the U.S. Revolutionary War, making his speech more relatable to the everyday American. And Zelensky always exemplified his gratitude towards the U.S. and made sure to add, Your money is not charity, it's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Zelensky made it clear that more help is needed and that Ukraine needs more artillery to face Russia, and he asked Congress to approve $50 billion in aid to Ukraine. Zelensky ended his speech by presenting Nancy Pelosi a Ukrainian flag that had been given to him by soldiers from the Bakhmut who wanted him to give it to Congress, and Nancy Pelosi, in exchange, handed Zelensky a framed American flag that had flew over the Capitol Wednesday. Zelensky gave a heartfelt speech in his non-native language, made sure to add some comedy, and even gave Congress a Ukrainian flag. He really did no wrong, yet some Republican congressmen and women proceeded to stay seated during some of his standing ovations, which is a disrespectful gesture, because they've really found a way to politicize a country's war for freedom. And it's been done with books, the COVID vaccine, and now even Ukraine. Regardless, Biden recently just signed a 1.7 trillion dollar funding bill that will provide Ukraine with 47 billion dollars in aid. Kirsten Cinema is a senator from Arizona who up until recently was a Democrat. Now, this past year or so for Kirsten hasn't exactly been ideal. Her, along with Joe Manchin, both who are very moderate Democrats, have held back major Democratic legislature due to their support of the filibuster. And the filibuster is essentially this way for a member of the Senate to basically extend a debate until the point where you can quite literally make it so that a vote never even takes place. The only way to stop someone from filibustering is with 60 votes, which is something Democrats do not have. They've have very razor-thin majority. Now, in the modern Senate, you don't even have to stand up, let alone speak to filibuster. Now it's essentially assumed that the other side will filibuster, and that's enough to change the required amount of votes to 60 for a bill to pass. What Democrats essentially wanted to do was modify the filibuster for two voting right bills that they wanted to pass so that if republicans wanted to actually filibuster they'd have to do so verbally you know actually get up talk do it the hard way and at the end of it all democrats could pass the bills with a simple majority that they had now, Cinema and Mansion were against this, which caused both of them to face a ton of backlash. And both were—they—they were already known for being pretty moderate, but they were essentially just voting with Republicans on the filibuster. Now, Kirsten Cinema, she switched to an independent right after Warnock won in Georgia, which is—it's a strategic move. If Warnock had lost, it doesn't seem like she'd switch because Democrats wouldn't really have a majority then. Now, it's not exactly clear on what moved her to make that decision, as she in an interview had said that she plans to vote the same as she usually did, which raises the question of how necessary was this move? Was it to give her a better chance at re-election in 2024? Was it to please her donors or was it to draw attention to herself? either way it's backfired she's just facing more hate from democrats and critics with some calling for other democrats to challenge her in 2024 and others predicting that this could be the end of her political career cinema had said that this move it shouldn't have come as a surprise and as i've said before while she was very moderate this move It decreases the Democrats already major thin majority in the Senate, and it will only make things harder for her in 2024 as now she has to run as an independent. I mean, I don't see any real benefits for anyone with this move. And folks, that was pretty much it for this week, but I still do have one more weekly roundup. Herschel Walker's Senate run has, alas, come to an end at the Georgia runoffs. Now, we've talked a lot about Herschel Walker on this podcast because he's quite a unique Senate candidate. Herschel has a habit of lying, not to forget a troubling past, and Walker's run was always overshadowed by new details of his past being revealed. Despite these setbacks, however, Walker managed to push the Senate race to a December runoff as neither him or Warnock managed to obtain the majority. However, in the runoffs, Warnock, who is running to keep his seat, won by getting 51.4% of the vote, with Walker getting the other 48.6%. And right after Walker's loss, all the criticism from the GOP started rolling out with the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, saying Herschel Walker was simply a bad candidate and that bad candidates lose and others calling out Trump for choosing to endorse Walker in the first place. And folks, that was pretty much it for this episode. If you enjoy- if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to join our mailing list. All you need to do is send an email to politicschmolitics2020 at gmail.com. That email is located on my website and on the podcast description also, feel free to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It's a good way of helping this podcast. And just spread the word. Tell your friends, family, uncle, aunt, grandma, grandpa, really anyone about this podcast. You were listening to Politics Schmolitics, and this was the week of 12, 25, 20, 20, 20, 20.